Hello and welcome to Accessible Theology. We are a podcast dedicated to making theology accessible. Our goal is that we would know God truly so that we can love God deeply. Uh, We do that by, um, I think, you know, I don't know if this is a like a a phrase that we coined or not, if this is unique to us, Uh, but we're, we're calling what we do expositional podcasting. And uh, we're going to run with that, and uh, maybe that'll be maybe that'll be our claim to fame. What do you think? Uh, probably not. But <laughs> okay, All right. that's fine. That's fine. We're, we're not in this for the fame. That's for sure. Uh, we like we like clarity of language and yeah. expositional podcasting captures what we want to do. So yeah. So if you're just joining us, um, we are walking through the book of Colossians. That will that's what we mean by expositional podcasting. We're taking a book of the Bible. And we're just walking through it. Uh, Right now, we're looking at Colossians. And in this episode, we plan to look at chapter 2. We're going to consider verses 6 through 15. Uh, So uh, I'll go ahead and read them. And uh, we'll just spend some time discussing uh, those, those verses. We'll give a little overview and background from where we've been, just so you know. Um... Some of the conversation we've already had, or you can go back and just listen to that. Uh, But I will read from Colossians chapter 2. I'll start in verse 6. It says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. There's a lot in there. Uh, so that's uh, Colossians 2, 6 to 15. Michael, where should we start this conversation? Yeah, uh, a good principle in Bible reading uh, that we would commend to you is anytime uh, you see a sentence uh, or a section starting with the word, therefore, uh, you want to ask the question, well, what's that therefore? Uh, what is mm. its purpose? And uh, that word, therefore, points you back to what was previously stated, and it highlights the fact that the uh, author is building off of a previous argument. And so what Paul has just got done arguing is you can go back and listen to our previous discussion on 2, 1 through 5, is he has argued that in Christ is the entire storehouse of wisdom and knowledge. So you don't go outside of Jesus to add to your Christian experience or to level up or to have some type of mystical uh, relationship with God that is special in some way. It's Jesus 
himself, who is uh, the apex of of spirituality and wisdom and knowledge. And uh, Paul is dealing with, uh, we talked about last time, and we'll talk about a good bit more in our next episode, is dealing with this uh, this heresy of Gnosticism, the belief that knowledge is is all important at the expense of material or matter matter so that it denigrates the body it denigrates anything that's physical and and it talks about how entry into the good life is this is this knowledge experience that actually makes matter out to be itself evil and paul is just obliterating this argument he's taking out its feet so that it and showing why it cannot stand and that's why he tells us that we are to walk in Christ. Therefore, he says, you have received Christ by faith and you continue to walk in him. And that in him, you can actually walk upright and be established in the faith. You won't be tossed to and fro by every deceitful doctrine and wind. You will actually be spiritually uh, built up in Christ. The reason I mentioned the Gnosticism part and the fact that Paul is trying to take away uh, the argument is you see very clearly in verse 9 how in Christ the fullness of deity dwells in a human body. Like that, that is, uh, it, it, it just destroys Gnosticism because what he is saying is that God is pleased to dwell in matter, in the, in the person and work of Christ. And if you have a view that somehow matter is already dirty or lowly or these things, you the incarnation does not make sense. Um, so Paul is Paul is taking uh, this this very argument away from this heretical sect of people and showing that in the human uh, Christ in in that human body. The per the divine person of the Son lived and uh, and moved and breathed. Right? It's just it, it's an incredible reality. It's a mystery that uh, doesn't just like confuse the mind. It kind of snaps the mind when you think yeah. through it. Uh, and yet, that's where Paul is taking us to see right. uh, that glory. So that's what sticks out most most to me is is how he shows that we have everything we need in Christ, and that matter itself is not the problem and the, the high life is found in knowing the person uh, of jesus christ yeah so and even like in these few opening verses of this section um it, i think it's it's important for paul to build this foundation uh, and as you're saying specifically going against gnosticism because uh it's it's one of those things that is so close that even even for those who would be you know considered mature in the faith they could be like well this guy is saying like basically the same thing um i had to i had to read some some gnostic texts for a class last semester and i read through some of them i was like i mean yeah that's that's really close and you have to be like you have to read with very intentional um eyes to to kind of discern the truth from error and I think Paul is building this foundation uh, to let us or let the Colossians know, and then by virtue of the Colossians,
clear understanding of who it is that we're talking about when we talk about um, the person, excuse me, the person of Christ, uh, because there are going to be a lot of different things that will try to, you know, tell us something different than what has been revealed in Scripture. Uh, so we need to have our eyes um, tuned, our ears tuned to uh, the truth so that we can uh, reject what is false. Uh, and that's, I think, part of what Paul is doing as he goes on to then explain not just the person of Christ, but the work of Christ and what he has done on our behalf. And that's what he kind of moves into, right? And then uh, verses 10 and following, uh, some of the work of Christ. So uh, if we've considered the person of Christ in the first few verses, we move to the work of Christ, which is, this is like the meat of the passage. So we'll probably spend the bulk of the time here, but what's going on in uh, 9, 10, 11 and following? Yeah, so Paul sets the table in 2.8 when he says, to see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, which are based on human tradition and the spiritual forces of the world rather than Christ. So Paul is setting up this antithesis between demonic forces that are animating false teaching and the gospel. And as you said, when you read some Gnostic texts and, and you read false teaching, and we talked about this a little bit last time, one of the dangers is they often use Bible concepts. I mean, and, and the Bible, and even Paul says that we are to have, we can have the knowledge of Christ. Uh, and Gnosticism makes it seem like knowledge is everything, but it can actually, in some ways, confuse because it corresponds briefly to what Paul is saying, but then it denies, importantly, other things that Paul says. So it, it can say some true things, but typically what it, where it falls apart is that it explicitly denies things like the work of Christ in his human body that Paul is getting into. And that's where the real problem. So Paul's setting the table for that in eight. And then he says in 10, I mean, one of the, this is just such an amazing statement to consider that Paul says, you have been completely filled in Christ, or you have the fullness of God in Christ, because it says he is the head and ruler over every authority. So these rulers and authorities, these demonic powers that claim through the false teaching, that claim to have access to the high life, actually are are underneath Christ, as he's going to tell us later, because of his work on the cross. Uh, and Hebrews gets into this, that he was made lower than the angels for a time, and then exalted and enthroned at the right hand of the Father in the incarnation. And so Paul is kind of capturing some of that reality here by showing that Christ is the head of all of these things in his in his person and his work. So this is a, this is a crucial concept. And what, what he does, though, is he builds on Old Testament themes to show us the person and particularly the work of Christ here. In 11, when he says, in Christ, which just a quick note on that, in Christ refers to a forensic reality, a legal reality, meaning that we are in Christ by virtue. He's a federal or a head representative of us. And in him, we are declared righteous because he's going to get into this when he says that our, our legal debt was nailed to the cross, and in Christ we are free of that debt that's been ascribed to us. So he's building this forensic legal category here. So he tells us, in Christ, you are also circumcised in the putting off of your sinful nature or putting off of your flesh, but the flesh there refers to your sinful nature, not that you had your skin ripped off. It has to do with the reality that your old nature that was fallen and actually, as Ephesians talks about, following the prince and powers of the world and, the, and the, these false rulers previously, that in Christ you are freed from them. 
and we're told that we are circumcised in Christ. And um, circumcision here, I'll take on circumcision. I'll give you, I'll, you can handle the baptism connection then, Aaron. Uh, but with circumcision here, um, this is a passage that our, a lot of our Presbyterian friends point to uh, as, as a, both, both Baptist and, and Presbyterians both think they're really right when they look at this, of course. Um, but Baptists are really right when, when, we, when we look at this. Uh, but one of the things that we, we point to in this text that sticks out is that the circumcision that is performed by Christ here takes us back to the Old Testament, which the Old Testament circumcision was the initiation and being brought into covenant with mm. with God. That was the point of the of the covenant uh, of the circumcision in, the, in that. Uh, Jeremiah four talks about and promises that in Jeremiah four verses four and five it talks about uh, circumcising the foreskin of your heart. Which is kind of, and then other places in the in the Old Testament, it promises. Uh, I think of Moses taught, it was pro- promised that there would be heart circumcision, uh, and that that promise builds throughout the prophets, and that's ultimately fulfilled in the New Covenant work. Then, where it, heart circumcision refers to the work of the Holy Spirit by which He. Um, o- regenerates us, how He indwells us, and how He permanently uh, lives in us and animates us to obedience. And that's what circumcision is getting at. This isn't a human circumcision we're talking about. That's why he says not by human hands in verse uh, in verse 11 there. But it's done by Christ through the Holy Spirit when we believe. And that, that circumcision in the new covenant unites us to Christ. And unlike the old, which just was a physical circumcision, and you could be in that covenant and a non-believer, this, we believe, is only done in the New Covenant to somebody who is a believer, which is why it talks about in the next verse, through your faith in the power of God. So that's one important concept, but I'll, I'll, I'll yield that, Aaron, if you want to build out verse 12 of having been buried with Christ in baptism and how we uh, make that work with circumcision as Baptists, if you want to work on that. Yeah, so so what we, we wouldn't say that there is a direct correlation or even like a, a replacement of um, what's happening in, under the old covenant with circumcision and what's happening under the new covenant with baptism. Uh, it's not uh, that in the new covenant, baptism has uh, become uh, basically the same uh, in its, uh, in what it means uh, in the new covenant as circumcision in the old covenant. I think it's, it's a deeper reality that is um yeah i mean it's important for us to consider um and i'm glad that we get to talk about this in the context of colossians um in the work of christ and what he is doing for us and and so i think the there's there's a picture that's being related to us where so we're reading in verse 12 and this is this is one thing that michael and i vehemently disagree about uh, the the pronunciation of the word buried. Um, yeah. So you can uh, you can mark it here. Uh, we disagree on something. Um, but <clears throat> the picture that we see uh, is that baptism is what is signifying our death uh, to the old way of life. I, I wrote a paper last semester. Um, on the uh, initiation rites 
of the the ancient church and i i was just i really enjoyed reading what um some of our brothers and sisters in christ uh, in the second third century had to say about baptism and the way that they treated baptism i was just very i don't know i i found it very interesting uh, so so they would have oftentimes uh, a three-year process of teaching what it is that you are to believe and how you are to live before you could be baptized because in your baptism what what you're saying uh, and, and in the words of tertullian he said um, you are renouncing the devil and his pomp and circumstances and i was just like okay that's that's good stuff so like in baptism what we're saying is when we go down into the water when we're buried with him in baptism we are saying this old way of life uh this this way of life that is controlled by the flesh the flesh that is cut off uh, in our circumcision of the heart uh, we're saying we're no longer living according to that according to those desires according to um you know <clears throat> all of the things that would come about based on the the sinful flesh that is controlling us and so we're buried uh, with Christ in baptism, but we are also raised with him. Uh, and this is something that is, I think, signifying, showing that uh, we are we are setting ourselves on a new trajectory uh, in this, uh, because it's something that, um, you know, Christ has gone before us in doing. He was baptized uh, to fulfill all righteousness. He did it as an act of obedience. He didn't do it because, you know, he had sin that uh, he needed to renounce or anything like that. He was doing it because um, it was uh, his example to us of of obedience to the Father. And so now, when when we are baptized, when we're buried with Him in baptism uh, and raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, uh, it's this this way of signifying. It's this way of picturing the new birth that has taken place. And <clears throat> excuse me, got something in my throat, but. It's this way of signifying all uh, that that the work of Christ means for us on a day-to-day basis where we're saying, you know, I've been buried with him in baptism and I'm being raised to life. I'm coming back out of that grave just like Jesus did, came back out of that grave uh, to live a new life. Uh, we are saying the same thing. And this is Romans 6, 4. Uh, let me pull it up here where it says, we are buried therefore with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So this uh, this baptism that we are discussing, I think is is like the I don't I don't like to say necessarily it's the 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 public commitment of a private faith. I, I think it's more than that. I think it's something that um, you know has covenantal themes and whatnot, but uh, what we're saying is, yeah, I've been buried with Christ, I've been raised with Christ, and I'm going to live for Christ uh, mm-hmm. as a result of having uh, the old sinful flesh uh, circumcision of the heart removed from me. Uh, I'm now going to walk in this manner. So I, that's what I think is going on there. Um, yeah. Would you add anything? No, I think that's why we, as Baptists, why we believe in putting people under the waters of baptism, having them raised out of the waters, because we believe that that picture of immersion underneath represents the burial and raising of the Christian life, uh, spiritually, yeah. what's been happening. 
think it's amazing how the Bible does talk about uh, the resurrection power of life is an analogy in Paul's thinking from Romans 6, 4, what it is to live in righteousness now. So that yeah. same power, which is what he says here in 12, when he says that you were raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised Christ from the dead. So that same power that God used in raising Jesus from the dead is at work in you by virtue of your union with him so that you would live a holy life. So there's uh, just unbelievable uh, promises here and and promises not just that you are pardoned from sin, but now that you have power uh, to yeah. live a righteous life, to walk in a new way, in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord, which is what he just said in seven, that we're rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, and so we can continue to walk in Christ in holiness is what Paul is getting at. And all of this is possible because we can move into, into 13 through 15 now, which is a crucial linchpin for what is to come in our next section. So I want to make sure to focus on this. Um, moving into 13 through 15, it continues then by saying that when we were dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our sinful nature, God made us alive in Christ or with Christ. He forgave us all our trespasses. So we have, again, justification language, forgiveness that is given that enables us to live a holy life. Uh, the reason I mention this is some really love to emphasize union with Christ, but not, and it's want to disconnect all this legal language of being forgiven from sin, of having trespasses um, done away with. But this is crucial to Paul's soteriology, and it should be in ours in terms of what we believe is true about salvation, that we were once dead in our sin and in Adam, to use Paul's language from Romans 5, meaning again, in Adam is also a forensic or legal term. We were dead in him, what his sin was counted as ours. And now in Christ, his life is counted as ours. The work that raised him from the dead and, and is, now, is now empowering his life forevermore since he cannot die again, that is at work in us, is what Paul is saying. Um, and he says the reason this takes place uh, in the work of Christ, he says, because having canceled the debt ascribed to us in the decrees that stood against us, he erased these charges and nailing them to the cross. So these legal charges, these accusations that are rightful accusations, that's an important yeah. thing. These aren't false yeah. charges. These are God's law is good, right, and true, and it condemns every single person. Nobody out there apart from Christ, can say to have held this law. So these charges are valid charges that Satan, the accuser, could bring against you because you are that person. You are that sinner. And that, and the beauty of the gospel is that in the in when Christ is nailed to the cross, that there's a way in which we, we picture that the wrath of God coming down on him actually that he, in representing us, took those charges that stood against us and nailed them to the very cross he was on. And he took the punishment for all of those uh, all of those broken laws, all of these commandments that we have flaunted, that we've thrown off, that we've disregarded, that we've taken lightly, all the failures that we've had. Jesus nails them to the cross and erases them. It does away with the charges so that every Christian, every believer in terms of, a, in terms of rights, in terms of, I don't want to put this, in terms of a declaration before God, 
we are declared righteous. There's no condemnation because of what Jesus has done. This is mm. the new covenant work that is done on our behalf. And he ends, and, and I want to highlight this, Aaron, and we can talk about this in, in closing. Yeah. In 15, that I the way that I translate this is a little different. So the language you use you, that the ESV has and other things will say that he disarms the rulers and authorities, but mm-hmm. the word there is actually undressed, and it's the same word that Paul uses later in Colossians three when he talks about putting off clothing, like sin, putting like taking it off. So it's a mm-hmm. the, the word that's used refers to taking clothing off. The reason that is crucial is that in Colossians two fifteen here. Paul is saying that at the cross, at the scene of the cross, that he that God undresses and shames the rulers and authorities. And he says he made a public spectacle of them. And I the way that I would translate this is saying parading them triumphantly as captives at the cross. In other words, Paul uses a word here that he uses one other time in the New Testament. It's used in second. Corinthians 2, I think it's verse 14, where he talks about Christians who are the aroma of Christ are paraded as captives of mm-hmm. Christ. So there's mm-hmm. so Paul uses this word twice, once in reference to Christians who are, it's as though we become, uh, in, in that day when, when a Roman emperor would defeat an enemy, he would parade them around naked to shame them, to show that he mm-hmm. conquered them. Paul mm-hmm. uses that word to describe Christians in Christ which might shock the sensibilities of some, but the reality is that he's pointing out that Christ has conquered and has won us to himself. Mm. But here he uses this language in reference to the rulers and authorities that thought they were winning in the death of Christ. Mm. And what we get is a heaven's eye view of what was actually happening at the cross. Because in what, what human eyes would see is a bloody man, a naked, bloodied man shamed on the cross. That was the point of the cross. Romans would shame their victims so that so that people would not cross the Roman Empire. But yeah. from heaven's perspective, it's actually the rulers and authorities, the demonic powers of the world that are animating that lawlessness. They are stripped down and they are being paraded at the cross. So that as Paul talks about elsewhere, the cross is actually the display of God's power over his enemies. The reason mm-hmm. this all matters is we need to have heaven's perspective of the cross. Because mm-hmm. as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the Greeks and the Jews are ashamed of the cross. It's a stumbling block to them. But for those of us who know Christ, we know it as the power of God and it's the glory of God. And we look at the cross, not we don't see a helpless victim. We mm. see a conquering king. We yeah. see we you know, and that that's the reality. I think of the and I think it's come behold the wonders mystery talks about hangs the lamb in victory, right? Yeah, yeah, he's not yeah. he's not a losing lamb. He's a conquering king on the cross. So he is a sacrifice, but he's not a helpless victim. And as that's what we get from this. So what would you add if you as you think through the implications of, of these kind of doctrines? What what flows from that? Yeah, it's it's the image of the like the victory parade of the the Roman generals who you know they would after after winning a war they would bring their captors and parade them through the city uh, in in I guess I mean work of humiliation but like mm-hmm. it's interesting in this I think like um I don't I like I guess I don't 
like to think of things from Satan's perspective, but like the very thing that's good. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good. Like the very thing that he thought was going to like establish his power, mm-hmm. uh, the death of Christ on the cross, uh, is the very thing that defeats him, mm-hmm. which I mean, that, that is, that is humiliating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so just this whole undressing, the disarming of the rulers and authorities um, is like just showing the, how amazing the work of Christ on the cross is on our behalf. Uh, mm-hmm. That what should have been his demise is actually his victory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there, there's, you know, broad implications for, uh, you know, obviously the work against sin, but also then for our everyday lives that, um, that we can, you know, we can, we can live in that victory and, and not be, whether we go back to the beginning of this passage, not be held captive by, you know, some of these philosophies and deceits and whatnot, but also not be held captive by, uh, you know, the patterns of our sin, not be held captive by, uh, any sort of external temptations, authorities that would try to try to take us away from Christ because he has won the victory. And so there's, I guess, just that practical aspect of it where um, the cross was and is an actual victory uh, that we can cling to uh, and and live differently because of. Uh, so yeah, I guess, I guess that's what I would add, and just something that can I hope we hopefully be encouraging for us as believers to to rest in that. And then, and, and that's why I think Paul is doing. We we've already talked about this, but back in Colossians one twenty four, when he says, "Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you," why is it that we Christians can rejoice in our sufferings? Because in Christ's sufferings, He was conquering, and so too do we. Right. So yeah. just just as We've been buried and raised with him. When we suffer with him, we are conquering, which is the whole point of Romans 8, that that the suffering, the tribulation, the persecution cannot separate us from the love of Christ. If anything, it drives us deeper into the very experience of Christ, which is why Paul can say in Romans 8, 17, that we are heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him, because it is paradoxically, the Bible sets this up for us, that our suffering is somehow, in God's purposes, is our conquering. Mm. And when that mindset uh, shifts in, the New Testament starts making a lot of sense to you, because you understand that, that we don't, right now, our glory is in the cross, in this, before Christ returns a second time. We will one day not have to suffer. There will be a day when every tear is wiped away and we will not suffer ever again. But until that day, just as Christ suffered on the cross and conquered despite all of that and conquered through all that, uh, we too conquer through our suffering. So that's the hope we have to live faithfully and why in Revelation, we've done a series on Revelation on the letters that uh, we recommend you check out if you want to dig into this more, but we've focused in, on, in the letters of Revelation on the conqueror theme. And many times the conqueror theme is, is specifically said that it is when they are faithful unto death, they conquer. Mm. That's mm-hmm. And 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 so the, the, the Bible recalibrates and pushes us away from worldliness. Remember, as Paul says, it puts off our sinful nature, our fleshliness, 
So we begin seeing with heaven's eyes on these things. It opens our eyes to see the glory of Christ and that we can suffer well with him. So that's, uh, I hope that gives hope that, that the worst thing that can happen that we can think of on this earth is probably being persecuted to the point of death. If and you, that can't take you away from Christ. So right. what what shall we fear? Well, you know, where death is your sting, it, it's non-existent anymore because Christ has disarmed everything that it had against us. Yeah, that's right. Well, hopefully uh, you found this conversation to be beneficial. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Any questions, follow up, or, uh, you know, just want to say, hey, um, you can find us on Facebook, Accessible Theology. We're on Twitter and whatnot as well. Same thing, Accessible Theology. Uh, but uh, we would love if you would share <clears throat> the episode so that uh, others could could hear as well. Um, but as per usual, uh, we want to charge you to love God, know truth, and live accordingly. <laughs>